Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. It has been we've been we've been gone for almost two weeks. I took a small vacation this last week. I went out to Orlando, Florida. This week, though, it is episode 44. Our guest is Julie Oliver of Ground Game, Texas. We're going to talk about ballot measures and all things of that sort. How's everybody doing? Doing all well, living the dream in Texas, right? I love that too because we're all very spread out across the state right now, which we don't always get to get, have the opportunity for that. But where, where are you at today, Julie? Today I'm in El Paso. I came a couple of days ago, right before the fourth. So um, working out here, it's warm but not humid, so it's bearable if you're in the shade. It gets really hot though if you're standing in the sun which is why I'm wearing white. And I feel like I'm glowing today because my skin is almost the same color as my shirt, but it's really to try to help uh, keep me from getting a, a terrible sunburn. What's the, what's the fourth like in El Paso? Is it, you know, is, is it, you know, fireworks? It is the same kind of thing that we would expect in, in other parts of, of the Metroplex? Or in yeah, tech- totally. People grilling out all day long at the park. Um, we did have a really bad storm though, that rolled in around probably eight, eight thirty last night. So I don't know. I don't think they were completely canceled, but I think maybe delayed because there was a really bad storm that rolled in. Wow. You got, they got rain. There was rain rain in El Paso. Yeah. (laughs) It was crazy. I was at the park getting signatures for what we're doing out here, which is not marijuana decrim. We're doing something on climate change, but um, I, oh gosh, what time was it? Maybe five 30 this this huge gust of wind came and just lifted tents off the ground. You know, those little park tents that people set up when they're grilling and trying to protect themselves from uh, getting sunburned. And one of them just started rolling down. The lady I was with, she's one of my good friends. She was like, Julie, look out, you're going to get hit by a tent. And sure enough, about a, two hours later, just a terrible, terrible thunderstorm came through. It's- it almost got clobbered by a tent, y'all. That was not well, The day before I left to go out to Orlando, it was... There was a massive rainstorm that came through Austin, and it was like, "Oh, th- thank, thank the Lord, this rain has showed up." I was almost worried our flight was going to be canceled over it. And then I get to Orlando, and I'm like, "Okay, I wonder what the temperatures are here." And the car rental place, the guy's like, "It's been like 93, 95 degrees. It's been really hot." And I'm like, "Dude, I- I'd love to have that, man. <laughs> it's been 103 like nonstop with heat indexes to 110." And he was like, "What?" And we got a tropical storm hit us, and it wasn't even as much rain as we got in Austin before I left. And people were just, oh, my, this is rain is horrible. I'm like, man, y- y'all have got it weird. <laughs> it's just weird compared to what we're we're putting up with in Texas. Man, I'm bummed out. You guys are all getting rain here in the Metroplex in Fort Worth. We haven't seen rain since, like, May. And they had to literally, they shut, they cut down the fireworks show yesterday in, in down Fort Worth because they caught fields on fire. And, you know, people were shooting off. There were reports of field fires all over the place here in Fort Worth just because it's so dry. So, you know, I'm jealous right now of all of the the rain that everybody else in Texas seems to be getting. But Julie, welcome. It's so awesome to have you. It's so great. to Thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. Um, You're doing a lot of a lot of big things in the state of Texas, but particularly for marijuana reform throughout the state. Let's, I guess, let's start off there. Um, well, you, yeah, I mean, you know, Texas, I think is a little behind the times, especially um, even just behind the times in the surrounding states to Texas that have done some 
some form of cannabis legalization, either medicinal or recreational. Um, and we're really behind the times. And, and I feel like there are a lot of times where we lobby our state legislators and um, our state senators kind of to no avail. We do it at the federal level as well, asking them, begging them, please remove marijuana from Schedule 1. And nothing has happened, right? Not here in our in our state and certainly not at the at the federal level. So um, I got an idea a while ago. Uh, I was like, well, why don't we do a ballot initiative in Texas on this and talk to my co-founder of my, my nonprofit, Mike Siegel. And I said, can we do this at the state level? And he goes, no, we can't. But what we can do is do city ballot initiatives. The state doesn't allow citizen-led ballot initiatives, but we can do this in the cities. And so that's what we started doing, modeling it off of the resolution that the city of Austin had adopted um, a couple of years ago. And so we took that resolution, codified it in the city of Austin. It passed overwhelmingly, over 85% of uh, voters in May passed it and um, helped the folks the good folks of Denton uh, collect all the signatures that they needed to collect to get it on the uh, ballot for November. San Marcos, all the signatures have been collected. It's in review by the city secretary, uh, Colleen, Harker Heights, Elgin. So we're going to see a number of cities in um, Texas be able to vote on this in November and actually codify in their towns uh, decriminalization me measures that are really, you know, misdemeanor amounts of possession, but not full of not full legalization, but, you know, at least misdemeanor possession, uh, ending enforcement of that. So there's there's Denton, Harker Heights, Colleen, Austin's already done theirs, uh, yep. San Marcos, um, and then and Elgin. Elgin. And Elgin. Yeah. Are there, what, what other towns is Ground Game looking at possibly focusing on next for doing a ballot initiative? Go into some big cities next year. Um, San Antonio and Houston is what we've, um, we're in the early discussions, kind of the planning phase. And this is actually, whenever you do one of these ballot initiatives, especially in a really large city, um, it, it really takes months of work because you want to pull together a, a broad coalition of partners in a city, especially I don't live, you know, in San Antonio, I don't live in Houston. I did work in, um, campaign work in Colleen and the Harker Heights area. But when you're not from the community, you really want a lot of input from the folks who do live and work in the community. That's what we're doing right now. We're pu pulling together a coalition. We're pulling together the financing. It also takes, you know, a, a tremendous amount of financing to do these ballot initiatives. It can range anywhere from about six or seven dollars a signature in a city up to ten dollars a signature in a city. And so pulling that all together takes months of kind of preparation before you actually start committing folks to putting their John Hancock, John Hancock on paper. Austin, you haven't, you, you got, it looks like you got like some exciting thought in your head, man. No, I'm, I, you know, I think for us, you know, a lot of the work that we've done has always been at the legislature, right? And that's how we've always thought that's how it has to be done. Um, and so, you know, Jesse, you and I both, uh, we've both been integrated in Denton and San Marcos. Um, you know, you with city council in the San Marcos, along with Mano Amiga, and me also with the uh, in, in UNT in the Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Uh, you know, working trying to get things done at city council. So um, it, it used to be that we had to do things at the legislature, but I think after the, the, the sourness you get after going five months and getting little to nothing of what you're really trying to 
campaign for, it just leaves such a sour taste in the mouth. And then you have a year and a half of trying to keep people engaged and the community galvanized to, to act. And so I'm deeply appreciative, Julie, that you and your organization have come along to uh, you know, lead these campaigns, you know, in multi-pronged campaigns and, and pulling allies together. And I think that's why we were so excited to jump on board too, because it's just, um, you know, doing things in the interim, I feel is going to put so much momentum into the legislature, no matter who gets elected in November. Uh, come January, we're going to have a solid reform that has been, that has already been completed that we can take in and say, hey, look, these measures are working. Um, you know, these changes were needed. And so I'm just, I just want to say thank you so much, Julie, for the work that you've put in on this issue. Well, I can say thank you right back because, you know, you were there with me the day we launched in Colleen. Um, you've been integral into in the work. I mean, uh, and honestly, way before I, I stepped into this space, I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly appreciative. And it's still I still, still think it's incredibly important to let the people who are elected know how important this is to communities and to continue to lobby them. Um, I think when they start seeing that the state is starting, like the individual cities are starting to take action into their own hand, then perhaps they'll finally throw in the towel and say, OK, we can be the beneficiaries of let's say tax revenue or the economy, growing the economy. We can, we can have um, our farmers and ranchers, um, you know, start to deploy their land to, to alternative uses. And I've, I've said since, you know, I campaigned, you know, many years ago when I was hearing veterans beg me, like, if you get elected, please, please, please take marijuana off the schedule one. I think the best way you can thank a veteran is to legalize marijuana. You want to thank them for their service? legalize marijuana because they want two things. They want it, if they have a disability, they want it get ma- getting met in a timely fashion from the VA and they want a, a cannabis alternative to opioids and steroid shots and surgeries. As a veteran, I agree with Mitch Fuller when he says that um, we're, as veterans, we're tired of our legislature saying, hey, here's this weird little handout. Like, oh, you don't have to pay this toll on this certain thing or your DV plate counts for this. It's like, we, we don't need more of that. We need actual change that will affect our lives in a positive way. And with what you just stated, I wanted to ask if it's if we're looking at this strategy being something that because all these towns are doing it, we're seeing people like Greg Abbott being asked over and over and over, where do you stand at on decriminalizing marijuana in Texas? And so we, we've gotten it's become a boilerplate response now. It's like, well, I don't want to see the prison stacked. And the, the town's taking it into their own hands. I'm wondering how much that might factor in now into them going, we, we have to acknowledge this. I imagine some DA somewhere is going to go, hey, what they're doing is not legit. They can't do this. And like I've seen articles about Colleen that's being questioned in Colleen already, correct? Well, we have, I mean, <laughs> I could, I'm sorry, I'm going to try to be really nice. I love Colleen dearly. I'm not a big fan of their newspaper. I'm just going to be quite honest. And it seems that the editor at the newspaper has an agenda and they've given us so much free press. All I can say, first of all, is thank you, Colleen Daily Herald. You have given us a priceless amount of front page coverage on this issue. And you've really, truly brought this issue to the voters. It is an issue that 90 percent of Texans agree on. You can rarely find 90 percent agreement in any issue. But when it comes to marijuana, decrim, marijuana legalization, this is one that the majority and a super majority of Texans all agree on. And so I guess I can say thank you to them. But they definitely have an agenda 
um, that they are pushing that um, clearly the editor does not want to see this uh, legalized in his city or his community. Um, but that's not what the residents feel. And I know that because I actually block walked there for four years, knocked on the doors of uh, thousands of, of households uh, that were occupied by veterans. And so I, what I would do it is encourage the, the editor of the Clean Daily Herald to get out there and talk to veterans and see what they say. Um, and I think maybe he, he might change his mind. But that being said, no, what we are doing, this is what home rule is. This is what local control is all about in Texas. Local control is saying, we as a city get to decide which laws we're going to prioritize, which is why you don't find any DAs anywhere prosecuting somebody who's carrying pliers on their person. Just FYI, a 13-year-old told me, and I looked it up, carrying pliers in Texas is still illegal. But you don't see law enforcement going after it because it'd be a terrible waste of resources. And so you don't see district attorneys prosecuting those cases. You also don't see law enforcement uh, camped out you know, at every four-way stop sign intersection because it would be a terrible use of their resources. Running a, a stop sign is still illegal in Texas, but cities are not forced to enforce every intersection when it comes to traffic laws. There's broad discretion because obviously their budgets um, are limited in, in, in capacity and, and you know, manpower. So local control is exactly that. It is controlled by the city through their own ordinances, through ballot initiatives, through city council to uh, enforce what they're going to enforce and what the city wants. Yeah, it's there's there's a disparity that you're, you're getting at that I've pointed out recently. Um, and it's that if you give a child a gun in this state and they take it to school, it's a class C misdemeanor. If they don't hurt anybody. It's a class C misdemeanor. And it seems like we're not we're not even going after that. I don't think there's anybody who agrees that that's the proper way of handling that situation. But yet we go after someone who has a little itty bitty piece of flour and say, well, we need to throw you in jail and give you a class B for that. But it's time for our sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective. We've been having a great discussion about ballot initiative for local towns. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This week is episode 44. Our guest is Julie Oliver of Ground Game, Texas. We'll be right back after these sponsor messages. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas. A full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Oak Cliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. 
Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. She's all you'd ever want She's the kind I'd like to flaunt And take to dinner But she always knows her place She's got style, she's got grace She's a winner She's a lady Oh, 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 she's a lady Talking about that little lady Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast I'm your host, Jesse Williams Wonderful little break we've had there. Gives us a chance to refresh, get our head straightened out. It's episode 44. This week is Julie Oliver is our guest from Ground Game, Texas. I'm joined by co-host Austin Zam Hareri. How's everybody doing? Great. Still hot here in Texas. Still hot. (laughs) So hot. So hot. And it's not going to get any hot. I guess it makes talking about climate change a lot easier when it's this hot, right? It really does. Like, we're feeling it. That's for sure. Oh, man. The heat is still on, isn't it? The heat is the heat is on. Oh, man. Uh, so we were we were talking about local rule and everybody getting a chance to go to go out and the clean Daily Herald. Um, something I noticed in that article that um, I, I wondered if it was going to be brought up was there was a person they said that briefs like the Coppers Cove City Council and they mentioned they think the Pentagon and the DOD is not going to be happy with this. And I was like, you know, I wondered when this was going to come up because I remember when the whole synthetic marijuana thing was going down and the city of Killeen actually, they, the, the army base, Fort Hood, went out and pressured the city of Killeen to create an ordinance to not allow that to be sold in town. It had gotten so bad because of there was like a shop right off base that the line of cars from the shop trying to buy was going back into the gate. And blocking traffic. So they said, nope, this has got to end in this town. Enough of this. Well, here's the thing. These um, decrim initiatives aren't legalizing cannabis in our state. They can't. So I want to be really clear that uh, the decrim initiatives, all that does is it directs law enforcement to stop issuing citations and stop arresting people for misdemeanor possession. Uh, That's up to four ounces in the state of Texas defined by state law. Um, it doesn't legalize the sale. It doesn't legalize the distribution of cannabis. All it does is it says you can, I mean, and I'm going to be honest, y'all, Colleen has some of the worst, um, homicide rates in the state of Texas. And there are a lot of unsolved crimes in Colleen. A better use of law enforcement's time would be to investigate those crimes, not to try to pull over some guy who might have a joint in the car, who's not doing anything but sitting. And we know that they've had, you know, some no-knock warrants go wrong. One of them um, was uh, uh, served on a guy named Marvin Guy. He's been in pretrial detention, I think, for eight years now. And the only thing, the only thing that they found in his apartment was cannabis, nothing else. And not, not even 
anything that would be greater than misdemeanor. So in my opinion, and this is the opinion that is shared by thousands of other Texans, or I would say millions of other Texans, there's a much better use of, of police resources than, you know, trying to get people on a small amounts of marijuana possession. It's silly. You know, it's it's 2022. Every state around us has legalized it in some form. Uh, Texas is getting left behind the, uh, when it comes to the economy and the, the industry and the tax revenue that can be raised from it. And it's time that, you know, uh, our state leaders um, got on board. They could do the right thing and actually legalize it at the state level. And then we, our state could be the beneficiaries of this growing economy. And it's still a, a con- an economy and an industry that's in its infancy when it comes to legalization. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, I'm sorry, Jesse, you're, you're in El Paso, right? So you're right yeah. there. You, you can see New Mexico. I don't know if you've traveled into um, Las Cruces or, um, Sutherland Park or Chaparral. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, um, it literally across the border, recreational cannabis is legal. And um, the unfortunate thing, I wish we were doing, I wish to God, in, in addition to the climate initiative we were doing, I wish we were doing a marijuana decrim initiative here because law enforcement out here has said that they're going to bust people who bring uh, amounts that were purchased legally in New Mexico across the state line back into Texas. And so I wish we had a, a marijuana decrim. I wish I thought of that when we started collecting signatures, you know, at the beginning of this year, just to combine or at least have two clipboards at the same time. Do you want to decriminalize marijuana and do you want to protect the environment? Sign both, you know. Um, but it's it's I didn't know that New Mexico was going to go full re- recreational. I would have definitely uh, had this the marijuana decrim going at the time. It's not too late. We can do it. We can still do it for 2023. Well, and you, you mentioned about resources. Um, especially in Colleen, I remember right before COVID hit, I went to visit a friend and I believe it was like a Friday night and I was at an area called bit bar, um, where, uh, one ninety five, and it ended up that for four hours straight, it was cop cars back and forth down the street. And I was like, what in the world is going on? It was just nonstop sirens. And I found out the following Sunday that both Friday and Saturday, they spent like six hours each night doing drug raids and they did drug raids on the basis of people in the neighborhood there had been complaining about violent crime and they wanted investigations as to why there was violent crime. There was theft of like tires from cars. Like now we see like catalytic converters being stolen. And their answer was let's do a bunch of raids because we figure we'll catch the thieves if we just do basic raids. And I think total out of all the time and money they spent, they only caught like two people with drugs. Hundreds of people they went after, and only two had drugs. So basically, multi-million dollar operation, just nothing right? out of it. Nothing. It, it's so silly. And it's a city that could really benefit from a, a redirection of, of you know, priority, priorities in, in law enforcement. Um, but it is, it's really sad. It's, we've talked to people in Colleen, we've talked to veterans who have said, first of all, Texas cannabis uh, or compassionate use is not enough. Um, in fact, on election day for the primary, I spoke to a veteran who had just moved back from New Mexico. He said, I was on the perfect formulation for PTSD. He said, Texas compassionate use is not enough. I don't want to get arrested for having marijuana. Um, he goes in I'm on four, four different antidepressants and I feel absolutely awful. And we've actually talked to people who have been arrested in Colleen and how their lives were completely and forever altered because it's 
now hard to get a job because you have to list your arrest and subsequent conviction if you um, apply for a job. It's meant folks can't get housing. They apply for, um, you know, a lease. And again, you have to reveal any, you know, criminal history and, you know, criminal history. If you have possession of marijuana and you get booked for it in Bell County, um, that's going to go on your record. So it really can can alter people's lives in such a dramatic and terrible way um, for just small amounts of having cannabis on their person. And that means jobs can be lost. Housing can be lost. You know, the path that you thought you were on is now irrevocably changed because a Colleen police officer arrested you for uh, a joint. Real quick, Julie, uh, I'm curious because now you've already completed the campaign in Austin. You already went through the ballot initiative phase. How many ballots or how many um, signatures did you gain in, in the city of Austin? So in the city of Austin, I think we collected about 34,000 signatures. We needed 20,000 verified signatures. That means folks who are registered to vote in the city of Austin. Um, but people would sign it and they'd live in Spicewood, Texas. Or, you know, I even had somebody who was like, I live in Oklahoma. Can I sign it? I was like, no, y'all have already beaten us to this. So <laughs> Um, but you know, a lot of people will sign it and they'll be from surrounding communities like Round Rock or Pflugerville. Like, oh yeah, I can vote in Austin. They're thinking they can vote in Travis County, but, um, the reality is they can't, you know, vote in an Austin election. Although we did have, I will say we had 1500 people who needed to update their voter registration addresses. We also had another 2,500 folks who were completely unregistered in the state of Texas. So it presented an opportunity to get folks registered as well and say, you want to vote for this? get registered. And so, so that's, guess, that's been a lot of fun to help folks get registered as well. So my question is now, uh, now you have three to five campaigns that are going all the way until November. Um, what lessons did you learn in Austin as how to strategize? What are the, what are the, you know, the benchmarks that you want to meet between now and November to get people to say, yes, let's get another 85, 86, 87% in Denton, San Marcos. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what lessons did you learn in Austin that, you want to, that you're going to implement now in these other cities? So I will say in cities like Denton and San Marcos, where you have um, a high student population, but typically students aren't registered at their home, or they're registered at their homes, so they're not registered on campus necessarily. Ensuring that um, students are registered on campus Look, I know there are a lot of groups that do campus registration. And for the most part, whenever I've been on campus and and admittedly, I've only been on UT's campus when I was, you know, campaigning, you have students with their ear, you know, their earbuds in, they're looking down, they won't look up, like, are you registered? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put a sandwich board that said want it legal with marijuana leaf, register to vote on campus at UT. I just dropped it off at one of the organizations that was doing registration. And I kid you not, in about the five minutes that I was dropping that sign off. About 10 students came up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to I need to get registered here. And so I think that we need to make sure that we're doing issues based um, voter registration. And I think that will work not only in Denton and San Marcos. I think it'll work in Colleen. Colleen is still a, a community that has a sizable part of the population that is unregistered to vote. By our estimation, we think there are probably 30,000 residents in Colleen who are not registered in Colleen but live there. Y'all, that's a game changer in our state. 30,000, you get 30,000 people registered to vote and they actually go vote. Um, you get two new state house reps who actually believe in legalization. I'm assuming they would be, I know this isn't political, but typically Democrats, not all, typically Democrats favor legalization. Republicans don't favor legalization. 
And I know that the two, um, the state reps that, you know, currently are over Colleen in different parts of Colleen don't favor full legalization. Um, they favor compassionate use, but they do not favor an actual legalization, full medical or full recreational. Um, so 30,000 votes, y'all, that changes, that changes the makeup of the state house, you know, um, and, and then you can actually start getting real change affected. So issues-based voter registration, issues-based voting, like getting people out to vote on an issue. They may not know who's running. They may not even know we have an election. So letting them know, not only is there an election, this is what's on the ballot that you're interested in. In fact, you took about two minutes of your day to sign our petition, but these are also the candidates that support this issue. So if you want to start connecting the dots and change, seeing change that's bigger than Colleen or bigger than Denton, then vote for these candidates who would legalize it at the state level. Vote for these uh, candidates who would, who would remove it from Schedule 1 at the federal level. And so I think we need to do a better job of connecting the dots of issues to the people who support those issues. Because frequently, those people are not the ones getting elected, unfortunately, in the state. That's the truth. Well, we are going to go into our next sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined this week by co-host Austin Zam Hariri. This week's episode is episode 44. Our guest is Julie Oliver of Ground Game Texas. We will be right back after these messages. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Oak Cliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. Seven inches from the midday sun Well, I hear you whispering 
Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. It's a hot one, all right, for both us here in Austin and out in El Paso, where Julie's at. This week is episode 44. Our guest is Julie Oliver from Ground Game, Texas. It's hot out there in El Paso, isn't it? It is. A, it's a scorcher. It's a scorcher, Jesse. Um, I've been, no joke, I've been carrying like sunblock with me. I, I thankfully was collecting signatures today in the shade, but um, yesterday when I was out on the 4th, Oh my God, I just had to keep reapplying sunblock because I'm like, I'm just going to fry out here. I'm in an oven. I'm in oh, yeah. an oven. I, I really thought, I was like, this must, must be what a convection oven feels like. It was, it was such a shift coming back from Orlando where it was kind of humid. You had a little bit of sweat and it yeah. kind of kept you cool with the breeze. And then it never got above a hundred the whole entire time I was there. And then you coming back. tarmac it, though in Austin and it's just like, yeah. <laughs> ah. Got back oh. at like 8.40, 8.50 in the morning. They're like, it's already 79 degrees. And by the time I got home, it was already like 87, 88 degrees, not like 45, 50 minutes later. And I was like, man, this is going to be miserable today. Yeah. And I, I walked out to my car to get something I left in the car and coming home. I was like, oh, I want this. But um, I'm in a rental car out here in El Paso, and it's got a black interior. It's a white car with a black interior. But every time I get in, I was like, oh, my God, I'm cooking. I am actually cooking. Don't. You know, don't shut the door, Julie. You're not going to be able to breathe. I have like little panic attacks before the AC kicks in. Oh yeah, you get you you get in this mode where you you train yourself to get in the car and not sit fully in it, but like turn the key, get the windows down, and just kind of sit there oh. and wait. Oh, you just got to wait because it's. I mean, I really, I and honestly, I, the last time I got in today because it was so hot when I got in the car, I was like, God, I hope nobody. Please, this is a public service announcement. Please do not ever leave a child or an animal in a car. Please, 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 please. That is a miserable, miserable way to die. So um, I give kudos to Nissan. I rented a Nissan Altima. And it was a newer model. And every time I turned the car off, a little thing popped up on the dash saying, don't forget any articles you've left in the rear seat. And I was like, good job at pointing to look back and make sure there isn't a kid back there. Yeah, right. Oh, or a little pup that you're going to bring, you know, and yeah, it's just it's way too hot, y'all. It is way too hot. And our earth is just heating up. And a, and a great example of what this can do to you, I took um, fiber gummies, like little gummy vitamins and stuff for my kid on this trip. And they were in the suitcase in the trunk of our car. And the fiber ones, they all melted together into one like glob. One giant gummy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, 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 People need to realize if it's hot enough to do that to your, like, your gummies, yeah, just your basic medicine gummies. That like, and I'm not talking about the weed gummies. That'd yeah, its own weird disaster. But just yeah. basic vitamins. It's like it's going to melt them together. That it would kill you as a human. It's going to do that to your internal organs as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah. I say back to what we were talking about before we hit the break. Um, yeah, going on campuses and doing the voter registration. It seemed easier to get people to want to register to vote when I was out helping Mono Amiga. But I also noticed people who are like, oh, I'm registered. And I'm like, oh, you are? You registered here in town? And they're like, no, I'm registered back home. I'm like, where do you live? Oh, I live in Houston. I'm like, do you plan on driving all the way back to Houston? I'd have to tell them that. You plan on driving all the way back there to vote? And they go, no. I'm like, so how do you plan on voting? And they went, I can't vote here. And I'm like, no, not with with a Houston registration. You can't. I I think that's, um, well, we know. Some of that is quite intentional um, from our state uh, leaders. They don't, they actually don't want young people to vote. 
Um, it might it might spell their doom if they actually had young people turn out to vote. Um, I think it's a fabulous idea to have young people vote. And it's partly why we're doing what we're doing and, and helping, uh, you know, our college campus uh, students get registered to vote. But if you don't let kids know that once they're registered, they can't just vote anywhere in the state. They actually have to vote where they are registered. So if you move from Houston to San Marcos or you move from Houston to Denton, um, elections are typically May and November. You have primaries every other year in March. But the likelihood of you going back home a week before spring break in March or the likelihood of you going home right before finals um, in May or the likelihood of you going home right before Thanksgiving to go vote is slim to none. So you might as well get registered to vote on the campus where you live, um, where you live during the spring and the fall. And um, it's not that hard to update your address. That is probably the, one of the good things that came out of last year's legislative session. If you're already registered to vote, guess what you can do? You can update your address online. So if you decide, you know, hey, this, you know, San Marcos thing isn't working for me. I'm going to move back home to Houston. Just update your address online. Then oh, you can was, get registered to vote in Houston. And there was a court case um, about that took place during COVID about if you're updating your driver's license, DPS is now required to let you update your address and register to vote. If you're That's changing right. the address on your license, it used to be that they're like, no, you can always just get the card and bring it in. And it was like, we can't do that in COVID. Think about how easy it is. You're already there. They have your information. There's nothing insecure about the DPS system. They have everything. They've got your address. They've got your driver's license number. You have to have an ID to vote in Texas. They already have your driver's license number. They have your birth date. You might as well add the voter registration component. And yeah, the state wasn't following the law that required DPS to get folks registered to vote through their computer system. And so, yeah, that was a good thing that came out. One of the good things that came out of, you know, sheltering in place was the Supreme Court said, yeah, you, you actually have to you have to do this, DPS. You have to get folks registered to vote. I reminded the students on campus that a, a good just to me, it's a good practice and good thought process is that leave the town better than you found it. And if that yeah. means registering to vote and voting on things in the town, do so. Leave it better than you found it. That way, the next group that comes in has it better than you had it. I love that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that next time I go talk to students on campus. I actually love that. Um, and it's, you know, now that they made at least that portion of getting registered to vote, once you're registered, you can just update your address online through the tech, Secretary of State's website. Get registered where you live. It'll be so much easier. And I always tell people, I, I met a young lady today. She was not registered to vote. She was 19. She didn't think she wanted to vote. And I was like, well, you may change your mind between now and November. But let me tell you one thing. If you are not registered to vote and you decide you want to vote, you can't. You will not be able to vote. Registration does not mean you have to vote, but it gives you the option if you do want to vote because you you don't have that option. The option is not available if you never get registered in the first place. It's a best bet policy to have. I think so, too. It's better to be there and have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And, and it's strange. You know, life throws all sorts of curveballs at us, right? Or things that we discover we have an interest in, maybe never having an interest in it before, but something happens to one of our friends or our family members, and we suddenly have a great interest in it. Um, having that option to being able to go out and vote uh, is really important. And so, again, it doesn't mean you have to vote but it gives you the option in, in case you choose to. And especially if somebody, if, if you live in a city where cannabis decrim is on the ballot, you can go vote for that. Um, this is something you care about. 
get registered to vote. So you have that option to vote for it. Otherwise, law enforcement is still going to enforce, you know, class A, class B, class C misdemeanors in your town. So if you care about this issue, get registered to vote and vote for this. And if you wanted to see change bigger than your community, vote for the state people who would do it at the state level. Vote for the federal people who would do it at the federal level. I will say, you know, yeah, it's been disappointing that we haven't had Schedule 1 removed. But when the president could remove Schedule 1 or marijuana from Schedule 1, he hasn't done that. It's really disappointing. But he didn't campaign on that promise either. I got to tell people there were other candidates who did campaign on that. We have a, a gubernatorial candidate this fall. Well, he did. He did. Campaigning. He did say he was wanting to decriminalize, was going to be getting into that realm. And even that he hasn't touched that. That was the decrim yeah. thing was something he did run on. And it's like and it's, it, what's sad is that when you see there's been several pressers in the, like the last two to three months where it's been brought up, like, where, what's the status on this? And it's a major deflection. Yeah, and it's yeah. like and it's like, hey, you, you, you were given kind of a mandate in, in this. Oh. Use it. <laughs> Well, I would, I would want to be like, you want to, if you want to get the young people's vote, you know what you do? Take marijuana off of schedule one. You, okay. Relieve student debt, take marijuana off of schedule one. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to inspire thousands, if not millions of people under the age of 35 to go out and vote. It would be a, you know, just a, a win-win. It'd be a huge win-win. Uh, and I don't, I don't understand who's advising the president or if he's just too old. He just doesn't get it. I don't know. And I don't want to sound ageist because, you know, Bernie Sanders is older than him and he gets it. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't know, but I would say if, if you wanted to have put a political feather in your cap and ensure that you're getting the young, the youth vote, do those two things. And, and you might not see a midterm uh, slaughter in the state, in the U S house. I'd say it's anything that pushes the concept of we're looking to make the future better for you. And I talk about when it comes like the cannabis, cannabis to me is not a, to me personally is not a single issue item. It's uh it's healthcare reform. It's criminal justice reform. It's a, it's a form of social justice reform. We can end some systemic issues with doing these things. And overall it's, it's good economic policy as well. It, uh, you're so right. It hits all the major boxes, honestly. Uh, and it's like, Hey, this, this sets up our people to have, the freedom they're they've been asking for, this freedom and liberty, and then removes this sort of oppression part, and then you get this economic boom that goes with it. And it's like, how is how is this not seen as a slam dunk issue for like this administration right now? And that you said blows my mind. It blows my mind. And I, you know, it's so funny. I had a conversation with a woman yesterday who um she and I didn't see quite eye to eye. And and she was I was telling her how we do marijuana decrim initiatives in other cities. We're not doing it here in El Paso, but we do it in other cities. And she goes, well, marijuana is the gateway drug. I was like, oh, no, ma'am. No, I'm sorry. It's not. I was like, but you know what is? Oxycontin. And unfortunately, that's still legal. As long as you have a, a, a doctor who's willing to write a prescription, you can acquire Oxycontin legally. But that definitely is a gateway drug. Um, and, and it's, you know, maybe it's because... Uh, and I hate to say this campaign contributions from the, the cannabis industry aren't <laughs> buying off. And, I don't, know, and I'll, say, I'll, I'll admit I, and I personally, and this is part of my own health history. That I don't mind talking yeah. about. I catch some flack for it every now and then, but like I take a stimulant for having ADHD and I joke with the pharmacist. My local pharmacist has pretty much been on board with us changing this, this law. And I joke with him. I go, man, you know, I've never seen cocaine be so cheap. I come in, you give me a month supply, roughly over a gram. I pay 10 bucks of copay and bam, you hand it right over like it's nothing. 
I was like, never seen it so cheap in my life, but this other stuff. Oh no. Well, and you know, honestly, and and I'm not going to say it's a gateway drug either. It's not, (laughs) not right. It's not, it's definitely not. Um, you know, and I think we were, you know, we are an evolving, uh, humanity and, and we're learning there, there are addictive behaviors and it doesn't matter really kind of what the the thing is. We have an addictive tendency that's it, part of our DNA. We're going to find that thing, right? It'll eventually, or it'll eventually find us. But I always tell people for the people who think that cannabis uh, legalization is a terrible thing to do. I was like, well, look, if you really want to know the good, the bad and the ugly about a drug, legalize it so we can actually study it legally. We can't study marijuana legally in the United States because of the Schedule One prohibition. So we're having to rely on other countries who are studying it, right? But if we really want to figure out what the good, the bad, and the ugly is and to custom custom tailor the good, you know, and reap the benefits of the good and be able to warn people of the bad, then we need to take it off of Schedule One so that we can fully let the scientific community in our country um, do the, do the research on it. Well, I wanted to ask what is ground game Texas see for its future after the 22 elections? We were talking about what happens in the interim between now and the election, but what do we see the group doing after the elections? Well, you know, 2023 is what, you know, some people affectionately call an off year. I would like everybody to think that every year is an on year to organize. Um, but I think that's, it's an opportunity for us to go into cities like San Antonio and Houston, those are two very big cities that would require us to probably um, gather about 35,000 signatures in each city if we do it through the city charter. So that would be amending the city charter to create a suite of policies that say, you know, as a city, this is just not something we want to prioritize. Um, but if we can do that, we'll collect, you know, about 70,000 signatures. One of Houston has a mayoral election next November. So maybe we can get some folks out to vote. Um, in the mayoral election for the future of Houston, right? Um, They're going to have some candidates. Some will be in favor of legalization. Some will not be. And so I think that's a great, it's a great issue to get people out to vote who may not normally, you know, have the tendency or want to go vote. Um, Beyond that, you know, I've had people ask me, do you think in 2023, the state legislature is going to shut you down? I really don't. I think they see the writing on the wall. I think they see what is happening in red states. When South Dakota and Montana are legalizing marijuana, when New Mexico, our neighbor, is full recreational, Arkansas is trying to get a full recreational. They already have medicinal, but they're trying to do full recreational. You know, Oklahoma has medicinal. It's a pop, incredibly popular issue. I don't think they're going to do the things that try to shut it down at a at a local level. And what they would have to do honestly, if they wanted to address it, is they would have to force cities to enforce. They would have to write legislation that say, cities, if you want your revenue, you will have to enforce marijuana uh, laws in your city. I just, I don't see that happening because I think oh, it's such a losing issue. For and them. that's something we would likely see come from Greg Abbott and Greg Abbott's pretty much signaled he's not for that at all. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to target the work that we're doing in 2023. I mean, I do never say never, right? I don't want to sound like I'm you know, we're not exactly dealing with, um, you know, rational people uh, all the time. But uh, I, I don't think that they're going to target this because they have many voters who love marijuana and don't want, um, you know, if they could if they can see change in the community, they want it in their community. So don't mess with us. And you're right. I don't think it's probably a wedge issue like abortion. But I do think it can become a wedge issue for people if the Republicans try to target it in 2023 in a negative way. 
I want to get your final thoughts, let you plug uh, Ground Games website, any other groups you want to discuss. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm so grateful that y'all had me on and it's been so fun working with y'all and doing these initiatives. Um, and I'm grateful that, honestly, I'm grateful that we're, we're trying to figure out a solution, albeit a patchwork solution to, uh, again, not totally legalizing it, but maybe if we decriminalize it in enough cities and start hitting the big cities with decrim uh, initiatives, maybe the state will finally come to its head and say, we need to do something about this at the legislature and legalize it. I think baby steps would be uh, medicinal usage or having a medicinal cannabis program in Texas, followed by full, full recreational. So when people say, do you ever think that this will happen in our state? I do think it will happen in our state. I hope it happens in our state. I hope we don't have to do ballot initiatives on on cannabis decrim. So um, I think it's going to be a ways out. Honestly, I they could do medical in 2023, probably more likely 2025 maybe 2027, 2029, we have uh, full recreational in our state. But, you know, every state that's had legalization has started somewhere with a ballot initiative. And eventually the state kind of gave in, threw in, the, you know, threw in the towel and, and, and gave in. So we're doing it city by city um, with partners just like Texas Cannabis Collective. Very, very grateful for that. Um, our nonprofit is called Ground Game Texas. Uh, Ground Game Texas, all spelled out, .org. That's our website. And we are on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I have to say, I'm not the best. I'm, I'm really kind of over Facebook. So, uh, you know, or, Understand you'll find us so. more on Instagram on, and Twitter than, than Facebook. I'm just really over it. I just, I don't know why. It's, I, it's not fun to use. It's, they're so restrictive and they're shadow banning. And like right now, our group, if you try to type in Texas Cannabis Collective, it will not show the group or the page, but if you type in Texas Collective, they're like, there you go. And it's like, really? That one yeah. word? So it's, it's understandable. And as, yeah. um, and I'll add into what you're talking about with the whole eventually legalizing, as Austin likes to say, um, when Texas falls, that's the rest of the dominoes are going with it. Absolutely. So let's get out there and vote this November for the five cities that will have it on, on the ballot. Um, Denton, San Marcos, Elgin, Harker Heights, Colleen. And then let's work on the cities next year and the year after that till this till the city finally caves and or not city the state caves and, and legalizes it. Oh, all righty, that is going to be it for this week at the Lone Star Collective podcast. I'm your host Jesse Williams. I was joined by co-host Austin Zamhari this week. Our guest this week is Julie Oliver of Ground Game Texas, episode 44. We hope you will join us next episode. Our guest should be Jay McGuire of the Texas Hemp Federation. Everybody have a wonderful week. Stay hydrated, stay out of the heat, do what you can to keep yourself safe, keep the kiddos and dogs out of the car. Everybody, enjoy yourselves. <laughs>